Well, Brian, thank you for the kind intro, and thank you, Summit Church, for giving me the opportunity to preach the word to you. Um, I spent some time in this um, this week, and so obviously you are in this series called Fruition, and so you can open up to Galatians chapter 5. Um, I've got quite a few verses. Some have actually already been read this morning, which is great. We can read them over and over. There should be some notes on the screen, but as you open up to Galatians chapter 5, um, I want to kind of lay down just a foundation because, you know, as a gospel-centered church, as a gospel-centered people, what that means for us as believers is that when we put our faith in Christ that first time, that moment, um, it's not as if we're just punching our ticket and now it is to attend church, be a good person, try to do all the commandments in the scriptures. If we do that, then what we've done is we've just negated the, our belief in the gospel that Christ is enough. And so what I want to do is it's easy to look at the fruit of the Spirit or any implications in scriptures or commandments and just try to do them, right? This was part of my story. When I gave my life to Christ when I was younger, um, what I thought I needed to do was just read the Bible, be a good person, and do what the Bible said. The problem with that is I often failed at being a good person and doing what the Bible said. <laughs> and then you start heaping this guilt and this weight and you carry it with you. And it was a guilt and a weight that had already been lifted from us. And so as we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, particularly goodness this morning, what I want to encourage you above all else as we look in these scriptures and I prayerfully, hopefully share with you better picture for us to walk away with is that we wouldn't walk away with something else to do on our own. That the fruit of the Spirit is unique and different, and I'm sure this has been covered, but it's worth covering again. It's not a work. Paul, in contrasting in the previous chapters to the Galatians about what it meant to work, those are the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh deserve punishment and separation from God. But the work of the Spirit is different. As a church planter, and this church was one of those planting churches and is a planting church, it's hard for us because we live in a microwavable culture. Do you know what I mean? We live in a culture of, I want it now. If I don't get my fast food as quick as I desire, then I'm upset. But we know that all the really good meals, they take time and effort and planning. You have to lay everything out. And if you're going to smoke a brisket, you know you can't do that in an hour. It takes hours to do that. This is the same thing with the spirit at work within us. It's a work of the spirit in our lives that he is doing. You know, what's interesting is Christine and I have, she is originally from Troy. We had lived there. We've lived in two places since we've been married, Troy and Union. Twice. Right now, like John said, we are in between, so we are moving and we'll be back in Troy for the third time. And what we've noticed in going back and forth, um, and this is just the Lord's plan for our lives, is that he has been tilling the ground and working the ground for us. We're seeing relationships when we left Troy six years ago that the Lord had been at work previously and still to this day. And so you can't microwave, put it in the microwave, set it on a minute, and pop out the fruit of the Spirit. This takes years of cultivation. This takes you submitting to the Spirit of God that is in you and at work within you. 
And the fruit of the Spirit has this long list, and you'll probably even think that, well, I'm pretty good at that, but I'm not good at that. And you're comparing and you're trying to, to judge. And here's the thing. We have to just continue to submit to the Spirit and His work in our lives to bear this fruit. And sometimes there's the seasons of pruning, right? And if any good vine dresser is good at his job, they will go to the vineyard and they will trim off parts that are hindering the growth of the fruit to protect the vine and all the vines to produce a fruit to produce something that we can enjoy. And if they don't do that, the vine will suffer and the fruit will suffer. And so I just want to say this from the beginning that it's not the works that we do, it's the works of the Spirit in us which God prepared for us to do. And so we need to rely on the Spirit. And you may be in a season of pruning and you may not see much fruit, but you keep on pressing on and pressing in, trusting God and His Spirit to work through that so that the season of your fruitfulness may be right around the corner. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient, patience, kindness, goodness. We'll continue the verse because it is important for us to hear. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. For us this morning, my prayer is that we would keep in step with the Spirit, that we would learn to walk in the Spirit and trust Him to be the one that produces the fruit through us. And this morning we're looking at goodness. What is goodness? What is it in the life of a believer? And how should you and I be living this out? You see, we have to look at this from a couple perspectives, and I want to hint on these, touch on these for a moment. Goodness, as far as what the world might picture goodness is, goodness as to who the author of goodness, which is God, which we sing about this morning, who he is, and then what that, that implies for you and I. According to author and theologian Colin Cruz, he defines goodness this way. He says, goodness may be described as a positive moral quality, characterized especially by interest in the welfare of others, and is something, the Apostle Paul says, that is produced in the believer's lives by the Spirit. What does it mean to say that something is good. There are many things in my life that I think are good. Coca-Cola is one of those things. The outdoors is one of those things. Moving is not one of those things. My family is one of those things. The church is one of those good things. But the world has sometimes a different view of what goodness is, don't they? Those who don't walk by the Spirit and have the Spirit of God living in them, they look at goodness in the world and they see it differently than you and I. And that's where we come up with disagreements upon what we think goodness actually is. What is good? This is a question that has been asked since the foundation of the world. Philosophers have been arguing what is goodness. And I think the Scriptures kind of lean us and move us into that direction. Good is a word that you and I probably use every day. How many in here said good morning? If you didn't, you should say someone good morning. We use the term good luck. You think that was used this week? 
When people are at the gas station buying their Mega Millions lottery tickets, good luck. We say good day and good night. We have a category for things that you and I think are good, and so does the world. We even find it in the very first book of the Bible when God was creating the world, and he said, this is good. We use good every day. The dictionary defines goodness this way. If we want to look at what the dictionary might say, dictionary.com defines goodness as the state or quality of being good, moral excellence, virtue, kindly feeling, kindness, generosity. And I know last week you looked at kindness, um, and this week we're looking at goodness, and they're very similar, but they are unique. Kindness is really something you do towards someone, and goodness is also what you do towards someone, but it's more about the moral character that you have. It's more about your being, about the Spirit producing goodness in you to all people. Wai Zhang is a writer and philosopher, and he says in his article, if we look at what the world is wrestling with, what is good? He says, what is goodness? It is in the interest of moral philosophy to adequately and accurately define the meaning of goodness. This is important because the meanings of goodness set the foundation for an ethical theory, and I would say the foundation for a world in which we live. The branch of ethics interested in the meaning of goodness is called value theory. Hang with me. Consequentialists, for example, think that goodness is defined as the right action. That is, whatever is good is also right. It is good if and only if we ought to do it. The deontologists, on the other hand, they think that goodness is defined by our reasons to do something. If we have reasons to pursue X, then X is good. Does that sound familiar in the world that we live in? We need not appeal to any moral theory to understand why moral beliefs must be grounded on a theory of value. Values guide actions. In fact, in this church, there are values that drive and guide this church to complete the mission for which Summit Church has been called to do. In our church, Redeemer Church in Troy, we have values that will drive us to be who God's called us to be as a unique set of believers. So an appropriate understanding of values leads us to an appropriate understanding of our actions. But the question is, who determines the values? Who sets the markers for our reasoning? And so we're still left with the question, what is good? The world has an answer, and we have an answer. For instance, the world, living with the fallen nature in which we all still struggle with in this room, we wrestle with good and bad. And so the world might say this, and we might even say that it's okay that we might cheat on our taxes or fudge on them because the government doesn't deserve our money. We can do something else with our money. We can give more to the church and to mission, and that would be a good thing. And so we can say it's a good thing for us to kind of cut corners with our government. It's okay that we might judge others' choices and show scorn to people we don't know. Now, I'm not as familiar with O'Fallon anymore as I used to be, although I used to live in O'Fallon years ago. I know in our little hometown, in Union and in Washington, that I can drive down the street, and I know if I go to, to the Walmart in Washington, on the corner there is always someone who's homeless. And so they set up shop. I know in Union, at the corner of 50 and 47, oftentimes there is a young man who rides his bike there, and he has his sign. And so 
it's okay and it might be good for us to participate and be benevolent and kind and give that person money or help. And there's times that we do that. But oftentimes, we think it's not good for them to be out there begging for money. If you're out there looking for a handout, why don't you get a job, right? And so we're starting to pass this judgment. And I would say that is not being good to other people because it's not the moral compass that God is giving us by his spirit to have compassion on those around us. We could also say, if the world would let us define good, it's okay to kill a life God created in the womb because that fetus will hinder me from my career, my happiness, and my own good. If we have reasons for X, right, then X is good. But there's a real problem here because if we define what good is according to the Bible, we'll see this big difference. We'll see there is a difference between what God says is good and what we say is good. For there to be goodness, there has to be badness. If there is a goodness, then there has to be a reciprocal on the other side. Otherwise, everything would be good. And you and I know we don't live in a cave that we look around us and we see evil and wickedness all around us. We also see it finding roots in places in our own lives. There's evil in this world. Sin has corrupted every corner, not just the people in this world, but sin has a way of corrupting all of creation. I love the picture that we get in Revelation of the lion and the lamb both sitting together, right? You see, sin has corrupted that relationship. So instead of the lamb coming up and laying with the lion, the lion wants to consume the lamb. Wickedness is all around us. And it also lives within the created order and the created people. For those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, those folks who have not repented and turned to the Lord and put their faith in Him, to the one who is only good, the one who can only save, they are already standing on the opposite side of good. In fact, we're reminded of this in the nature, in our world, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul reminds us of the state of the world, and I love that he includes you and I in this, of which we once walked. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, Paul is reminding us that we are, in essence, not good without the Spirit of God within us. That our choice is not God. Our choice is ourselves. And so that would lead us to say whatever is good in our minds Whatever we think is right and good, we would pursue and not compare it to what God says. Paul also reminds us in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 12, he says that no one is righteous. These are hard words, aren't they? These are hard words for you and I because we would look at ourselves and say we're pretty good. I oftentimes believe that. Now, maybe it was just an ignoring the own sin in my life, but I thought, no, I am a pretty good person. People do like me. Most people like me. 
I like to be the good guy. I like to be the friend to, to, to the unfriendly. I like to stand up for those who couldn't stand up for themselves. I considered myself good. But Paul is reminding us that we're not good. We're not good without Christ in our lives. He says, no one is righteous. He says this in Romans chapter 3. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And there comes this point where you have to read the scriptures and you have to say, I'm going to trust what the Bible says and not what my own heart wants to believe. Because I'll have to tell you, that was a hard verse for me to reconcile in my own heart. And there are many that I have to reconcile in my own heart. And at the end of the day, I have to submit myself to what the word of God actually says. And when it says no one's good, I have to believe it, which means if we're not good, then we're bad. In fact, a law-abiding rich young ruler approached Jesus in the scriptures in Luke chapter 18 with a simple question about eternal life. And Jesus reminds him that only God is good. So this is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who existed before all things with God, condescending, incarnate, in the flesh, walked this earth, who is God. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? An honest question. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me, have you ever caught this? Good. He says, why would you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why would Jesus answer this rich young ruler in a way if he is God, why wouldn't he say, you're right, I am a good teacher? You ever asked that question? Why did Jesus kind of punt on this or avoid this? Why did he put all the glory to God? Does that mean he's not actually God's son or he, or he stopped being God's son? Absolutely not. You see, no one is completely good except God alone. This is the point Jesus was making to this rich young ruler. Jesus wasn't saying that he wasn't God in the flesh. He wasn't saying that he wasn't good. What he was saying to the rich young ruler is that you are failing to realize that I am the son of God, that I am him. You can't just throw out these terms if you don't actually wrestle and understand that to say that Jesus is God is to say that he is good and that he is the only son. Ultimately, no one is good except God alone. He is the author and definitive answer of what is good. So to understand goodness is to understand that this is a part of the nature and character of God. To understand goodness is to begin to understand that it begins and ends in Him. So I'd like to take a quick peek at what the Bible says about God and goodness. Because we could talk about it all day. But if it doesn't say it in this word then it's not true. But if it does say it, and if we work through the scriptures and we see the character and nature of God played out in all areas, and goodness is one of his characteristics, then my prayer is that it would encourage us to rely on the Spirit to see this goodness. So goodness comes from God. In fact, the Bible, the word goodness occurs 22 times in 22 verses. That's just the word goodness, not the word good. Among them, most are in reference to who God is. 
In Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23, Moses was asking to see God's glory, to help confirm him, to help build up his confidence as he leads God's covenant people. Do you remember Moses asking God to show me your glory? You probably remember the third day song, Show Me Your Glory. What a bold request for Moses to say because we know that it comes with consequences. And so Moses asked Jesus, he says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make, listen to this, all my goodness. Not all my holiness, not all my righteousness, not all my anything else-ness, but I will show you my goodness and it will pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the lord and i will be gracious to whom i will be gracious and i will show mercy on whom i will show mercy but he said you cannot see my face for a man that shall not see me and live and the lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock and while my glory passes by i will put you in the cleft of the rock and i will cover you with my hand until i have passed by Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God was so good to take his request. He's saying, Lord, I want more of you. I want to confirm my relationship. I want to confirm who I am in you so I can lead your covenant people. And God doesn't dismiss him. God invites him. He says, I will show you my goodness. In fact, my goodness is hiding you in the cleft of the rock so that you will not be consumed by my holiness and my righteousness. And so we see in this picture, God is showing that he is good. We also know and read in different psalms, like Psalm 25, 7. The psalmist writes, Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Psalm 27, 13 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 31:19, which was read this morning, says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness. How abundant is God's goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. You see, God is the epitome and fullness of what it means to be good. If you want to know what goodness is, look to God. To know God is to know and feel and experience the height of his goodness and the depths of his goodness and the expanse of his goodness. To define God is to define what is good. To define God is to define goodness. Now, of course, God is much more than just being good. He is many other things. But for this morning, as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and look at how the Spirit is working in us to produce goodness, we have to look to God first. So there's a difference between goodness and kindness. Kindness, I believe, was covered last week. And kindness really is like a kindly disposition towards other people. And oftentimes I think of like, it's when you do something kind to someone. And you may not always want to do something kind for someone, but you do, right? And sometimes you do desire to do something kind. I think of Jesus in the, in the woman, the sinful woman who had a reputable background, and she came to Jesus while he was meeting with the Pharisees in their house. Like, all the no-nos are starting to come in, all the badness is starting to come in, and what does she do? She comes in the midst of them, and she takes her perfume, and she dumps it out all over Jesus' feet, and she's drying his feet with her hair, cleaning his feet that someone else should have already done. And Jesus could have kicked her out, and he could have put scorn and shame upon her, but what did he do? He says, she will be remembered. 
for the history of the world for this good deed. Jesus was kind to her. But see, goodness is a little bit different. Do you remember that time when Jesus went into the temple? And the Pharisees and these religious leaders who were selling the sacrifices and they were making a profit in the house of the Lord, in the temple, and they were abusing the people. They were wicked shepherds, not good shepherds. And Jesus comes into the temple and what does he do? He takes the table and he flips the tables and he grabs a whip. Remember him grabbing a whip? Can you imagine Jesus grabbing a whip? And he's chasing them around and he's smacking the whip and he's driving them out because he was so consumed about the goodness of God that he couldn't stand that people were using God's name to make a profit. You see, that is goodness. It's goodness to do the right thing. Goodness isn't just charity towards those around us, but it's also being good in all areas. Speaking truth in love could be good. Pursuing righteousness could be good. And we see Jesus epitomizing this in both ways. Goodness is a kindly activity on someone's behalf. The Greek word here used for goodness is agathosune. This is kind of the root word for agape, which is this all-encompassing love. It's a very broad term. In fact, this word is only used four times in the New Testament, four times in all of Scripture, and it's very unique to Scripture. You won't find it in any other writings of the time. And what the author was saying, what Paul was trying to get across here was that as you take on the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God works through you, you begin to broaden your understanding of what it means to be good. That we can't narrowly define goodness, but we should be good in all areas of our lives. This goodness by the power of the Spirit inside of us enables, enables us to do many things. Did you know there are 59 one another's in the New Testament? Most of them are how you treat one another. Some of them are how people treat you, but there's 59 one another's. And if the Spirit of God is at work within you, then these one another's become a part of you. That's why you have community groups, so you can one another each other, so you can gospel each other, so you can continue to point people back to Jesus in our unbelief to trust in him. And the goodness by the power of the Spirit inside of us, pointing us to the goodness who God is, enables us to be like him on this earth. If the goodness of God and the Spirit of God is in us, it enables us to live at peace with one another. Wouldn't that be nice? To honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to accept one another, and to instruct one another. This is goodness. The fruit of goodness allows us to serve one another, like many of you did this week. To carry one another's burdens, being patient and kind and gentle towards one another. The fruit of goodness of the Spirit at work in the Christian means that we now forgive one another. We are compassionate with one another and we submit to one another. It means that we don't lie to one another. We don't gossip about one another, even if we think it's a prayer request. We don't slander or grumble toward each other. To walk in goodness is to walk by the Spirit. And that means we increase our love for each other. That we encourage each other. That we build one another up in love. It means that we confess our sins to one another. That we pray for one another and are generous to one another. And that is a hard one for me to confess. Is that hard for you? 
Like think of the Spirit's work in your life. Think about those moments where you're faced with a decision. Maybe it's a temptation, maybe it's a trial, maybe it's a view on life, maybe it's should I attend church or should I not attend today? We're faced with these struggles and the flesh is at work and the spirit is at work and we claim these victories. And I'll tell you this, um, confession is something that I am learning to do. And my flesh wants to not do that, right? My nature wants to say, I don't want anyone to see the, the, the badness in Rob. But what I'm finding is, as I submit to the spirit and he is working in me and I'm able to confess these things to those around me. I'm finding healing, I'm finding help, I'm finding hope within that. A friend of mine, I, I, I share this story often because it's a really good picture of the spirit at work because sometimes we make it over-spiritualized, right? A friend of mine, back when we were in the midst of the pandemic, you know, everything went online, including shopping, even more so. And uh, a friend of mine bought a new TV, a big TV, a flat TV, and he bought it through walmart.com. And what happened was they sent him the TV after he had ordered it, which was good. That's pretty normal. But what happened next was they sent him another email telling him that your TV is here at the store. You can come and get it. He's thinking two for the price of one, right? I can get two TVs for the price of one. So he gets his TV that they shipped him and he opens it up and he puts it in his living room, and then he gets that email, and he decides to drive on down to Walmart, and he goes into the store, and he goes back to electronics, and he shows them the email, and they say, oh, yeah, we have your TV in the back. We'll be right out with it. And so they go get the TV, and they bring it out, and he sticks it in his shopping cart, and he's walking to the front door. And he gets to the threshold. You know, it's like the doors are there. You can see, like, the glory land is right out front, and you've got, now you've got two TVs for the price of one, and he gets to the threshold, and he decided he couldn't do that, that that would be stealing, that would be dishonest, that wouldn't be good. And so he turned around and he walked back and he said, I'm sorry, I've already got this TV. And he gave it back to him. And I told him, I said, can I tell you something? The, the Spirit was empowering you to do that. Without the Spirit, you know what we're doing? We're putting two TVs up in our living room and our wives are going to be mad at us. <laughs> and our kids will be happy. But the Spirit empowers us in the simplest of things to make the right decision. Goodness is not only actions, but it's who we are. It's the Spirit at work to, to, to make us good, to help us be good. Goodness, above all else, which the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, he says, put on love, which binds them all together. The fruit of goodness empowers us to love one another. We can't love each other fully without the Spirit of God working in us. To walk by the Spirit implies both direction and empowerment. That is, making decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and acting with spiritual power that the Spirit supplies. You know, we live in the Christian world for you and I, and we see different denominations and different churches, and we see some that are really, like, they seem very cold without any spiritual life at all. And you see others that have, seems like they've totally forgotten to read this book, but man, they are lively. And so we look at both of these, what we would say, 
churches that lack the Spirit and churches that are filled with the Spirit. And I think they both have issues. I think the Spirit is active. The fact that we are here this morning is a grace of God that the Spirit is drawing us because we all could probably do a little with a little extra rest. And when I see Christians put their faith in God, what I'm seeing is the Spirit already at work. The Spirit is at work. And so the Spirit is the activating agent in our lives in ordering, enabling us to see Christ in his fullness. And so the, we have to be spiritual people because the Spirit of God is the active agent in this world. As God sent the Son in John 1, 21, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so the Son sends you. And he sent us the Spirit. We are a spiritual people that relies on the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can supply. Um, I was at lunch with one of my sons the other day, and uh, we were at uh, a Chinese food restaurant, and we were right next to a McDonald's. I cannot imagine what service industry workers go through. There's never enough of them, right? And they still do a pretty good job. And, and I remember being younger and more immature. I, I remember when, how impatient I could be. Like, I'm a picky eater. Do we have any picky eaters in here? Right? Like, I used to cry when my parents would take us to White Castle, which didn't happen often, but it happened enough that I hated it. <laughs> Don't hate me. One of the only foods I can eat, I can eat many, is onions. Uh, this is not a gift the Lord has given me to enjoy the taste of onions and when you went to White Castle and you ordered their hamburgers and you got a bunch because that was the cheapest way you could eat, there was no ordering them plain. Even if you ordered them plain, you know what's still on that weird burger that's like glued together <laughs> is onions. And so when dad would say, we're going to stop by White Castle, I would start crying. <laughs> no, can I just have a fish sandwich? Plain. And as you go out to eat, as an example, I see these. So I'm out with my son, and we're, we're looking at McDonald's at our Chinese restaurant, and I see this kid who I think, I'm like, is that so-and-so? And he says, I don't think so. And I said, man, would you ever work there? He's like, oh, I'll never work at McDonald's. I said that too. You know what I did when I, when I turned 15? My dad drove me down to McDonald's and made me fill out an application. It was my first job. I wouldn't want my kids working in fast food. I wouldn't want my kids working in the service industry. You know why? Because it is harsh out there. There are mean, bad people that if they don't get their food in a timely manner, there is hell to pay. But the Spirit gives us this ability to be good to those people. When they don't, when they leave the onions and the mustard on your burger, instead of getting upset, you walk in and are gracious and kind and say, you know what, I, is there any way I could get this? In fact, I've been trying to be overly kind to Anytime I go through the drive-thru, I try to recognize their name and say, oh, so-and-so, thank you for taking our order. Um, can we have this? Oh, I'm sorry, we're out of that, right? Because they're always out of what you, sometimes what you want. I'm like, I'm like, oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Spirit, give me goodness. Oh, that's okay. You know, what else do you have? And so I'm learning to be really kind specifically to those workers because they are going through something, through situations with mean people all the time. And this bears witness for, what, for our faith in the Lord. And so we can be kind and goodness to those around us. 
like we said before, like Colin Cruz said, goodness is a positive moral quality characterized especially by the interest in the welfare of others. It's not only something you do, it's by the grace of God and the spirit in you, something you are. Ultimately, I'll try to wrap this up. God showed us his eternal goodness, didn't he? He could have left us on our own in a dark world, only choosing ourselves. He could have done that, but he didn't. In fact, this was his plan before the foundation of the world, was to create this world knowing that it would fall into rebellion. And he sent his son still, knowing he was going to send his son, because we sang this song when we started off the service. And Dwayne used this passage, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world out of his goodness that he gave his only son, out of his goodness that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we read in Titus 3, verses 4 through 8, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of, listen to this, works done by us in righteousness. He didn't save us because of anything good we brought. In fact, our greatest works, Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. They're worthless. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit working in us, whom he poured out on us richly, not just a little bit, not just a few drops, but richly. He has richness of himself. And why did he do that? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul then says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. And so we insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we're not saved by works, But God has prepared good works for us to walk in them by the power of his spirit, and that is being good. Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter 10, which I'll summarize for the sake of time. It's called the Good Samaritan. You'll see this even on the news channel if you watch it, these Good Samaritan stories. But what they don't understand is that is like an oxymoron. That was a contradiction of terms. If you were a Samaritan, you weren't good. And we know the story. We know that there was this man, and he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and along this thieving trail some thieves jump him and they beat him up and they take all his things and they leave him for dead and we know what happens right a priest comes by a godly man and as he walks by he looks the other way in fact he doesn't just look the other way he goes around the man to avoid him and then you see the levite of a similar stature do the same exact thing and then the Samaritan who is despised he comes along and he sees the man and he picks the man up and he puts him on his horse and he walks him into town and he cleans him up and he pays the innkeeper money says whatever else I owe you I'll come back take care of him until I do that's what it means to be good it's not to turn the other way not to look the other way not to to understand that sometimes being good might cost us more than we're willing to admit and this, this young ruler, this young leader, lawyer of the law says to Jesus when he's asking him about who is my neighbor. Then he asks him again after he tells the story and he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He says, you go and do likewise. Friends, as we learn to live by the power of the Spirit, as we submit to the Spirit in our, in our lives, as we pray for opportunities to stay to have the kingdom come, to have gospel witness in O'Fallon and the surrounding area and in Troy 
We're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit as we recognize his goodness. We will begin to bear fruit. We will begin to treat others the right way. The Spirit will produce this goodness that seeks first to serve others, to speak truth to others, and season this world with something that they cannot get anywhere else. I have heard many stories of people coming to faith as they see the witness of Christians living their faith out in the midst of not the goodness of life, not the easy way, not the, the life on easy street, but when they see believers who are struggling with affliction and heartache, because this is the path of Jesus, right? That following Christ means sacrificing things in our lives. And so I have heard many stories of people seeing Christians live out the witness of what God has done in them with the joy that surpasses all understanding. And I've seen these people say, I don't know what it is, but I want it. And that is goodness of God in us and through us. It says, you go and do likewise. And let us remember also that as we go and we do, it's not our works. It's the work of Christ. And when you fail to believe that, because you will fail to believe that, God is so good, he just says, turn back to me. Trust me. Let me do the work in you. Ephesians 2.10, I've mentioned this before, says, we are God's workmanship. That Greek word for workmanship means like this word for poem, like this story that God is writing in your life. And he's writing the story and he's using you. It's really, he's a really good author to write the story of your life. And he has created us in Jesus Christ for good works. And guess what? Which he already prepared for you to walk in. He's already prepared them so our obedience is to follow his spirit. I want to share this story and then I'll end with this. One of my younger sons, um, I have four sons and two daughters. And my youngest son, um, who's waiting to get baptized at Redeemer Church when we start, because that's just one of, you know, he just can't wait to do that. But I've seen the evidence of the fruit of God in his life. I've seen him put his faith in Christ by the grace of God. And what happens is when the Spirit comes in your life, you start seeing the world differently. You start experiencing things differently. And there is a homeless man in Union, and I, I don't know his name. Um, I've talked to him many times. I've, he's a really friendly guy. He's really well-fed. Um, usually in pajamas all through the year. Um, and I've talked to him many times. He's actually, my wife bought some burgers one time and he came up right to the door while her window was down, not expecting him to not have any personal space. <laughs> and she gave him a burger and he gave her a hug and she's like, whoa, like that was you know, a little too much. And we see this man all the time. And I think about him all the time. And my youngest son and I believe this is the spirit at work, just to, to end this with a picture of how we live out by the power of the spirit goodness in our lives, to be a gospel witness of those around us to one another. My son spent his own money to buy him a water filtering straw. Now he bought two, one so he could have, but one so he could give away. I've yet to have him use it in the toilet, but we're, we're working towards that. But he did use some nasty, dirty water outside, and he said, it's, it works, Dad, it's great. <laughs> I'm glad it works. But he saw this man, and he saw a need, and I believe it was the Spirit of God and the goodness of God to say, yes, we want to provide for him. I don't say that because my kids are not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. But we celebrate when we see the Spirit at work in us. 
So may we, by the power of his spirit, walk in these good works that he's already planned for you to bring goodness to those around us. This world may not fully know what it means to be good, but it's our opportunity to show them. Let's pray together. God, you are good. Lord, you are all that it means to be good. Lord, that on our best day, Lord, our works mean nothing to you on our own. God, by your graciousness, you work in us to produce in us, to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ so that we can love one another, so that we can serve those around us. And so, God, as, we, as Summit continues this journey on the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, may we see gains in these areas. And if we're not in a place where we're being, maybe we're being pruned right now, Lord, that we would, we would trust that you still have plan, you still have works that you've prepared for us to walk in. And, God, I pray that any of the works that, that you do through us, Lord, that you would get all the glory, that it wouldn't be about what we were able to do, but it's about you working through us. God, this world is in desperate need of people walking in truth and love. This world is in desperate need to see the gospel lived out. Lord, because we know that's the only hope that we have. And so, Lord, I pray for Summit Church. I pray for those people in this service, for those who are watching online, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, begin to draw them to you. I pray that for those of us who are walking in you, Lord, that you would remind us of your love every day. That we wouldn't trust in ourselves, God. And when we do, Lord, we would turn from them and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I trusted in this or that. And I know that you are the only one that gives me purpose and hope and a future. And so, God, I pray for St. Charles County. I, I, I know the heartache and the brokenness that exists here. And I believe that Summit Church is a big part of making all things new. And so, Lord, may Summit be a church filled with your goodness. And may we lay our works down at your feet at the end of the day, trusting in the work that you accomplished for us in Christ. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name.